Hi, this is Tony Fonica at Cover Magazine, and I'm speaking to Andre Symes, the CGO of Genesis in the UK. Andre, thank you very much for talking to me again. Thank you for having me on, Tony. It's always a pleasure having a chat. Yeah, it's great to connect again. Um, we haven't connected for a while. Um, Andre, I want to um, kick off, um, first of all, to just ask you a little bit of your sense of um, what is this period of COVID? It's been quite long and the lockdown, um, what has that done to insure tech and to digitization from your perspective there in the UK? Yeah, it's had a profound effect on, on insure tech insurance and I think business in general. Um, and what is quite pleasant to see is that the the market is really starting to wake up now. You know, I've likened it before to effectively the sprouts of little plants coming out after the first rains post a big forest fire. But it's had various effects in, in our space uh, in, in different ways. And I'll unpack it. From the InsureTech point of view, it has had a substantial negative effect on funding for the InsureTechs that are reliant on, on funding to funding rounds. We've seen, uh, whilst there's been an increase in actual funding amounts in the insure tech space, the number of deals have come down substantially. Um, but the deal sizes have obviously become quite a bit bigger. And there's been a, an unfortunate situation where lots of small insure techs are, are not going to make it through this period, which is, which is quite unfortunate. However, on the positive side, it is, it is also not, not necessarily bad in the long run to have a saturated market shaken out a little bit. I know that that might sound a little bit uh, um, uh, harsh, but that is effectively where the insure tech space was getting to. There was just there was almost too many insure techs around fighting over the same pie, and some of them, unfortunately, you know, needed needed to 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 uh, uh, close down. But on the insurance side and the broker space and the UMA MGA space, uh, we've seen a, a marked increase in the desire uh, to go digital. Um, Aviva came out with some numbers yesterday uh, and they've declared a 14% growth of, of book on their digital platforms. Now, remember, they're a multi-billion pound company, so 14% is substantial. Um, and that kind of backs this idea that, that as we have all been pushed into the digital space uh, with, with lockdown, we've all needed some sort of mechanism to do our insurance digitally. And, and obviously, everybody's now trying to figure out what the digitization strategies are going to be going forward. Having said that, though, there's also always the upside about, about cash and, and, and also as, you, as balance sheet. Um, so the execution of these digitization plans obviously are in limbo. You know, I think a lot of the financial departments in the organizations are thinking about how do we protect our balance sheets uh, during these uncertain times. A lot of them have locked down specialist business, uh, innovation business, and just returned to core focus. You know, let's do what we do well for the time being, until such time as we have a bit more certainty about the future. But in the last two months, with uh, the industry opening up a bit more in London, there's been a massive drive again to get these accelerated. And I think a lot of IT providers and software as a service providers like ourselves uh, are currently sitting with, with, with quite a lot of work to catch up on delayed roadmaps when our clients are now saying, come, let's get going. So um, business is good for us. Uh, it's just now a matter of being able to service everybody at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And that obviously opens the door in terms of trying to make those decisions as to 
Um, you know, do I go the route of software as a service? Do I build my own stuff? Um, you know, what sort of route do I follow, um, as you say, to digitize? And, you know, not just looking at balance sheet or whatever, but also looking at long term and looking at having the right service provider. So maybe just as a start off for those people that um, might not be uh, quite a fay with what software as a service actually means and what the alternatives are, if you can explain that to us. Sure. So, um, you know, without going into a, a formal definition, software as a service effectively just means accessing software that is hosted online via a subscription base rather than downloading it and installing it on your PC or purchasing it as a one-off. So what that tends to often do is that you pay a much smaller fee monthly rather than a big purchase fee. So, you know, I think a lot of the, the listeners would remember back in the day when you would walk into a shop and buy a Microsoft 95 box off of the off of the, the, the computer store shelf, go home with a CD and install it. That is the one complete extreme of the software offerings. That's that's what we would call on-prem. And then you have two iterations between that and software as a service, one being infrastructure as a service and another one being platform as a service. Now, the one that is currently high growth is software as a service. And the reason for that is that it gives a lot of freedom to the actual users to focus on their business without having to worry about all the periphery that comes with hosting business type software. And so um, when you want to make a decision about um, software as a service and you're looking at a provider, etc., versus um, building and having on-premise, is it purely is it purely a cost issue or a balance sheet issue that you're taking into account? Or is there more to that decision? Yes, absolutely. At a glance, it usually makes more sense technically. If you look at the technical upsides and, dis and disadvantages of software as a service, that is usually where the case gets made. Um, and some of the advantages around software as a service is the lower upfront cost. You know, there is no big license fee for software. There is no fee for your, you don't have to own your own infrastructure. Or remember those big server rooms we used to have. You, you can get rid of that. So there's no more on-premise, very expensive soft, or sorry, hardware that has end of life and you have to replace, etc. What you also have is that you immediately have accessibility for all of your staff to your platform from wherever they are in the world. So technically, it makes it makes great sense. And then on a slightly deeper technical level, we talk about things like scalability, as well as upgrading of software, it becomes a lot quicker. So there's no need to download upgrades, etc, the whole time, your software gets upgraded for you, you don't even know about it as it gets upgraded. And also as if you're a small company, effectively, Salesforce is one of the best known software as a service. But if you've got 100 staff members, and you run it on Salesforce, you could easily scale that to a thousand strong salespeople uh, without having to change any infrastructure. The, the, the infrastructure scales behind it. But where it does become complicated is when you try and actually figure out what this cost saving is going to be, because it isn't quite as simple as doing pure total cost of ownership on IT alone. You have to do full cost accounting across your entire business to understand the efficiencies gained in operational areas to start justifying those costs. Mm -hmm. And um, just lastly about uh, on the subject, um, do you find um, pe uh, people make the decision um, easily or is there a lot of interaction and a lot of work from your side 
in terms of that cost savings, etc., to justify for them? Or do they do that internally? In other words, is it is it the job of the client or is it something that you guys do? Yes, absolutely. We will support our clients in, in making those calculations. It's obviously always important to try and remain as impartial as possible when helping that because we aren't pushing our service for the sake of it. We really want the clients to make the best decisions. But, you know, we don't really have to do much convincing that software as a service is the way to go. If you look at, you know, the stock market recently and you look at people like HubSpot and Salesforce, I mean, HubSpot's pre-COVID share price has more than doubled to today. The same thing with, with people, you know, like Pipedrive, Salesforce, etc. All of these well-known software as a service companies have got massive traction. And that is giving people the confidence that we can go that way. There's still a little bit of resistance, particularly in the old guard, about having a lot of things in the cloud. There's some concerns regarding regulation in the cloud, data movement, etc. Because obviously when we have things like GDPR and, and Poppy in South Africa uh, being promoted and raising quite a lot of awareness around data protection, people ask questions around it. But, you know, you have to remember that the main places that a lot of the software is being hosted is places like you know Microsoft Azure, Amazon AWS, and Google Cloud. And they are going to have far stronger and more stringent uh, regulatory uh, tick boxes than someone hosting it in a, a, your, your, your server for you in a basement you know, uh, in Johannesburg somewhere. Mm, mm. And then just lastly, sorry, uh, to, to ask, do you think that we will see... Um, a, a stage where it's only software as a service and there's no on-premise anymore? The, there was a McKinsey report that came out recently and the large enterprise software organizations, I think it was 71% of them, had indicated that they have got a 100% cloud-based offering or cloud-based services by, I think, 2025. So people are working towards that. But it will never be 100% because there are, just, there are advantages of having, you know, on-prem bespoke bits of software built for you. Um, you know, and the one thing that software as a service does, that there, there's an element of, of standardization that you have to do to make it commercially viable uh, across many clients. So there will always be people that would want something really particularly uh, uh, bespoke to their business. And that'll usually be a case of something that I wouldn't call it on-prem. It'll just be hosted for them in private cloud. So it'll be an implementation for a specific client with specific requirements hosted for them within their own software as a service uh, uh, situation as such, if that sort of makes sense. Yes. No, no, no. That uh, definitely makes a lot of sense. Andre, thank you so much for those comments. I mean, it was very interesting. I think we sometimes take for granted that... Um, what all these things mean and we have in our head, you know, what, what it is. And then until you unpack it with someone like yourself to really understand um, what the challenges and the benefits and so on are. So thank you very much for clarifying that. Uh, absolutely, Tony. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. And then I'm looking forward to our next chat where we um going to unpack a little bit further in terms of pricing and all of those sort of things and maybe even bring a guest in. Um, from the UK. So thank you very much for that. I look forward to it.